thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. For us. I want you to flip with me to Mark 12. It's where we're going to be today. It's going to be one verse. We'll be in Matthew. I'll allude to some stuff in Luke. We'll be in Romans 13 and Galatians 5. So we're going to be in New Testament today just to notify you, give you some notifications like this is where we're going to be. I want to remind you what we've been looking at the last couple weeks. It's the greatest commandments. A scribe comes in and he's like, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. Like Jesus gives them two, love God and love people. So to recap what we did a couple weeks ago, I said, your love for God will drive your actions in life. Whatever your love for God looks like, that's going to drive your actions in life. And ultimately, we need to be obsessed with who God is, who Jesus is. We need to be, our love for Him needs to be so much that we can't ever seem to fully get satisfied. Not that we're discontent, but we're always chasing after Jesus. We should always be chasing after Him. And then last week, we looked at loving people, and we, we can't limit who gets our love. We can't limit who gets our love. And that's what I love about you know, other churches that are doing some really cool things. They're in areas that are reaching people that others don't reach or can't reach or won't reach. And we just can't limit who gets our love. So I think that's really neat. Uh, in the story last week, we were looking at, and so Jesus kind of framed that up in Luke with the story of the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, and so Jesus actually kind of at some points had traveled through Samaria into some really odd spots, and his disciples were like, why are you going here? And Jesus has always been about teaching us we can't limit who gets our love. We can't. And then we get to verse 31. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's probably one of the hardest things to do is to love other people like we love ourselves. So if you're, if you're like, hey, I want one idea that I can take with me, you know, because I just summed up the last two, here's what I would tell you. The best and most fulfilling way to love yourself is through wholehearted devotion to Christ. The best and most fulfilling way to love yourself is wholehearted devotion to Christ. We're going to look at that today. Uh, But to understand that, we've got to really understand more of this word neighbor to understand what it really means to love ourselves. Because like like if we say, I want you to love yourself, or if we take Jesus' command or his teaching to be true, like I want you to, I want to, I want you to love yourself, then Loving yourself doesn't become, you ever heard that phrase, treat yourself? <laughs> treat yourself, it was from Parks and Rec. I don't know if you ever watched that show, but there was a, there, there was a fella and he was like, he was trying to tell this other lady, he's like, hey, you need to treat yourself. And so go out and do something fun for yourself. Go get a Manny and Petty, go get a mental health day, go buy popcorn at the movie theater, which I'm, I have not done just yet, just to do that. But these are self-care measures. I want you to repeat after me. These are self-care. That is self-care. 
I want us to look at what that word neighbor means a little bit more so that we can learn how to love ourselves. You ever hear of the lady, you ever hear of a lady named Harriet Jacobs? Unless you're history buff, and I'm not a history buff. You probably haven't. She was born into slavery in 1813, or around 1813, they say, maybe 1815. Uh, her story, she goes into a spot where like, she even hid for like seven years. There was one point where she was hiding in an attic, so, uh, in, in, in an attic so they wouldn't find her. She's known for writing the most influential narrative written by an African-American slave. Like it's called Incidents. Incidents in the life of a slave girl. She was huge. She actually eventually used her influence to help leverage policy so they could end slavery in the 1800s. She was a part of that movement. She would actually use her notoriety because she started to kind of rise up in the ranks. She used her notoriety to help free so many people. But she writes in her book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, she writes about her owner, which slaves in those times, they had to call their owners Mr. or, or Master or Mistress. She was writing about her mistress, her owner. She said she was a good woman. She taught her scriptures. She would teach her about scriptures. But as she grew up and she reflected back, listen to what she writes. She says, my mistress taught me the precepts of God's word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And whatsoever you would want men to do to you, do ye even unto them. She says, but I was her slave, and I suppose she did not recognize me as her neighbor. I can't fathom in the 1800s or 1700s even, but I can't fathom how people would use scripture and they would share it with people, but then like not live it out especially the love your neighbor parts of it, right? I was talking to, who did I talk to? I was talking to a coworker. I was talking to a friend about one of their, their clients, uh, physical therapist, one of their clients who, they don't do the Jesus thing because they blame God for some stuff that happened to them when they were back in Catholic school when they were growing up. And the Baptists aren't without, without fault either. I mean, like there's, there's so many reports of things, people who are quote unquote of the book who are not loving their neighbor as they love themselves. And this is why we've got to understand this word neighbor, and who it is. And then we love them because we cannot love ourselves without being and without loving our neighbors. So, Whatever we do to love ourselves without loving God, whatever we do to love ourselves without loving God and loving our neighbor, it's just self-care. If we don't love God, if we don't love our neighbor, then whatever it is that we do, it's just self-care. So I want to let you know that we can be better. So Mark chapter 12, verse 31, when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, we, we already know, and I've, I've mentioned this in the weeks past, this comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That's a direct quote from Leviticus 19.18. It's actually quoted also in Matthew. It's quoted also in Luke. It's quoted in Romans, Galatians, and even in the book of James. And that's why I mentioned earlier at the beginning, like we're going to be in some of these books because it's interesting that this one specific verse is quoted several times, not just once, but several times throughout the New Testament. And so when, 
I've told you about frequency before, when something like that pops up, you're like, I should probably understand why, and I should probably look at the context. Remember that the best and most fulfilling way to love yourself is through wholehearted devotion to Christ. So, I want you to look at Matthew. So go on and flip to Matthew. Matthew uses Leviticus 19, 18 three times. Matthew chapter 5 is the first time that he uses it. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48 is the very first time that we find this in, in written order, like not in the order that it was written, but in, in, in the order that we have it here in our Bibles. Mark is, it's, it's said that Mark was probably the earliest gospel written. And Paul's letters probably predate the composition of this. But anyway, nerdy stuff. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Jesus says, he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's directly quoting the love your neighbor part from Leviticus 19, 18. What's interesting is that word there, and hate your enemy, that's not anywhere in the Old Testament. You will not find that in the Old Testament, which is strange. So the Jewish people, he's talking to the Jewish people here, the Jewish people would understand, oh, hate our enemy. Well, what does that mean? We were never told to hate, right? We were never told to hate. The Jewish people in the scriptures that we have were never told to hate. They think that it comes from a scroll that they found in the Dead Sea, the Qumran scrolls. They, they think that they found something that alludes to hating your enemy. But it's probably the idea like, I'm going to love my neighbor in such a way, the, the person that actually looks like me and acts like me and around me, I'm going to love them in such a way that I don't have time for my enemy. I'm going to project good things and, and not good vibes, but I'm going to put all of my energies and all of my stuff and money and time into my neighbor, literally next door to me, here in my gathering with me, here at work with me, and I won't have time for these people I don't get along with. That's probably the idea of what it looked look, look like. And then he continues on. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that, and here's the reason why, so you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends his reign on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the ta tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles, people not like us, don't they do the same? He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to tell you a couple things. Jesus ties, you can look at verse 43 again, look at verse 48. Jesus ties loving your enemy with prayer. Like he ties the two things together. Here's an application. We should love our enemies enough to pray for them. To, for God to have mercy on their behalf, to God bless them and not curse them. Like when we, when there's someone who, and the idea here for enemy isn't, in this context, isn't someone who doesn't look like us or act like us. It's someone who, they berate us. It's someone who doesn't have goodwill towards us. It's someone who antagonizes us. Jesus is like, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you to pray for your enemy. So we should probably... Pray for those who, who, who don't love us. So, James, how does that practically look? Because I want you to spell it out for me. If you have a problem with someone, pray for them. I've taught my kids that. I'm like, hey, you need to pray for your enemy. And, and one, of, one of my kids, and I won't tell you who, says, uh, 
I'll pray that the Lord just smites them. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we do. We pray for good things. We pray for good things. Pray for God to bless them with the love of Jesus. Pray for our enemies. But I love it here because look at verse 48, and we'll get into this in just a moment. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's, Jesus is starting to take that verse from Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself, and he's tying it in some sort of way to perfection. We'll get into that in a moment. Flip a few more pages to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22. This is when a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus asks. There's only one who is good. And if you enter into life, keep the commandments. If you want to enter into life, if you want heaven, if you want forever with God, this is keep the commandments. Which ones? Because <laughs> like, well, there's a lot of them, Jesus. And Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And here's where he quotes Leviticus 19, 18 again for the second time. Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. This one's a little more explicit because now he says, as yourself. So the rich young ruler says, I've kept all these. So what do I lack? If you want to be, you see that word there? If you want to be perfect, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. The key here, now we start to see that perfection isn't just tied to praying for our enemies and doing good to those who are not like us or don't, or don't like us. Now we're starting to see that Jesus is tying perfection to generosity. He's saying the rich young rulers and all these other things, but the key here was that there was a rich young ruler. So he was rich and he had power. And Jesus is like, look, you could have done all these things, but if you have resources and you're not open-handed with these resources, could be time, like in this case, the rich young ruler, it was, it was money, it was resources, property, whatever. He's like, you've got power and you've got money and you need to be open-handed with it if you want to be perfect. We'll get into perfection in just a moment. I know I keep kind of stringing you along, but it's going to start to make sense. This rich young ruler is like, I've done all these things. I've done all these rules. I've kept all this stuff. You have friends and I have friends that think that we can do enough to make God happy. My favorite prayer when I go to pray over patients and caregivers, and even people like, it, like that work at senior adult living facilities like that aren't even old, my favorite thing to pray over them is that there's nothing that we could do that would ever make God love us more, and there's nothing that we could ever do that would make God love us less. Because in his great mercy, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ for us, regardless of what we've done or what we would ever do. God's like, I want these people to be with me. I want them to be perfect. I want them to be set apart. And so I'm going to send my son Jesus, and it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus wants total obedience, wholehearted obedience. So he kind of frames this. He kind of frames all of this, like Matthew 22, by the way. Go on and flip to Matthew 22, and then we're going to get to Matthew 25. But 22, on your way to Matthew 25, that's the spot where Jesus is, in this story, 
stopped by a Pharisee. The Pharisee's like, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, love God. And the second one's like it, love people. He frames that with Matthew 25. Because Matthew 22, 23, 24, 25, it's kind of like one long narrative, probably a long day. I mean, you can look at all these things. Verse 41 of chapter 22, while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. And then they quit asking him questions. Chapter 23, verse 1, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. Then what happened? Chapter 24, as Jesus left and was going out of the temple now, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. And like, hey, Jesus, look at these buildings. And so now he's just talking to his disciples. And then verse 3 in chapter 24, now he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples, they're, they're talking to him again. And then we get to chapter 25, and he's still talking to just his disciples, just his followers. Chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And I'm not going to read all this. Because if you've been around church for a little while, then you knew, you've heard it before. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gloss over it. I'm going to summarize it, I should say. We know that Jesus, this was kind of like one long day, because in chapter 26, verse 1, it says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, so it was all like one lump when Jesus was, it was like a long day. Jesus, we were just, and they were just soaking it up, soaking it up. So Jesus tells them a story. In verses 31 and following, Jesus tells them a story. He's like, hey, I want to tell you, thanks. He's like, you know, God's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the people that, by the way, sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. I learned that from a song from Cake back in the 90s. That's in the Bible. Sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. It's right there. He will put the sheep on his right and his goats on the left. And he will say to those on his right, which are the sheep, he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And later on, he talks about the goats and the goats it's right there in scripture. <laughs> but really, Jesus is probably talking about followers. He's talking about followers. He's not talking about animals. He's talking about followers. And he's like, the people that follow me, the sheep. He says in John, he says, the sheep hear my voice. I'm the good shepherd, and the sheep know my voice, and I know theirs. And that's what I love about Jesus the shepherds. He knows every one of us. He knows every one of our voices. He knows what's going on in our heads. He knows what we, we need. He knows when we're scared. He knows like when to take that that rod out to scare off stuff, and he knows when to comfort us. He knows at night when we're cold, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be with you. In fact, I believe Zephaniah 3.17, it says that God is singing over us. He quiets us with his love and he rejoices over us with song. I think that Jesus does that when we're asleep. I can't prove that, absolutely cannot prove that, but I know that I have not heard him sing over me while I'm awake. And I believe that scripture is true. Anyway, so Jesus is separating the people that follow him, the people that don't. So they're like, well, Jesus, when did we do that? When did we sheep? When did we, who know your voice, when did we follow you? It's like, well, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you gave me some clothes. And when I was in jail, you visited me. And when I was, and so like Jesus goes through the story. Jesus, we didn't see you do any of those things. We didn't help you in those things. We've never seen you in jail. Like, you probably deserve to be in jail. We've never seen you in jail. She's like, listen, when you did for the least of these, you did for me. So when Jesus is tying together, love your neighbor as yourself, you can't love yourself without wholehearted obedience to Christ, right? When he's framing up love your neighbor as yourself and he's framing up perfection, he's tying them together with our actions, what we do because of our heart for Christ. 
He's putting that all together. Ken Akiyama, he writes 250 pages on just this topic alone. Okay, I read a book, I skimmed the book. 250 pages, and it was not like normal reading, it was doctoral level reading. I'm like, I don't, I should not even be reading this right now, but I, I need some background. He writes 250 pages on just the greatest commandment, and specifically the love your neighbor as yourself. But he says this, he says, quote, the love of neighbor is bound to perfection. It's like when we want to love our neighbor, and we're, we're told to, it's bound to perfection. It's, they're intertwined. So what is perfection? It's being set apart. It's being holy. It's something that we, we long for. It's something in Christ, in Christ alone. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the world was ever conceived, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. It's not that God like you, you, not you, you, you. Like it's not that God was choosing that way. I don't believe that. I believe that God chose a mission for us because he wanted us to be holy. He wanted us to be blameless. He had a mission for us before he ever created the world. He's like, you know what, golly, that Adam and Eve, I really, I should probably pin it on someone else, but I think it's going to be Adam and Eve are going are to break the whole world by sinning. So Jesus, you know you're going to have to go down at some point. I'm going to send you down. And you're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna create a way for them to come back to me through holiness, through perfection. And all they have to do is trust you, believe in their heart and confess with their mouths and they have to trust you. Yeah, I got it, Father. All right, good. Let's create people. And so Jesus ties it together and Paul's talking about it here. God had a mission for us. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1. He says, be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all your conduct. The thing is about holiness or perfection, holiness is being set apart, it's being perfect. And, and we can't be holy by ourselves. We just cannot. And that's why anyone that tries to do all that they can to get to God or get to Jesus, like they can't do enough. There's no way. Our debt is too great. We need Christ. We absolutely need Christ. I was talking to a lady this week, a senior saint. She's been around for decades and decades. Four score. She's been around four score in seven years. No, I'm just kidding. At least four score though. I said, hey, what is, she's like, hey, let's read the Bible together. I'm like, oh, that, that's great. I would love to read the Bible with you. And so we're reading through the Bible and I said, hey, what do you, what do you think it means to love your neighbor as yourself? I said, man, you cannot love God without loving Christ. You can't love yourself without loving Christ. And she's like, and what's beautiful is that Christ loved us. She said, God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loves us. I said, man, that's beautiful. So when we trust Christ, when we say, yes, Jesus, we're not signing a card. And it's not just an outward show for everyone else. We're pledging wholehearted devotion to Jesus. So Paul writes, Romans chapter 13. I read it earlier as we got started. Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read you again verses 8 to 10. He says, don't owe anyone anything except, and here it is, he's quoting Leviticus 19, except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He's like, in case you didn't understand, I am quoting the law. I'm quoting Leviticus, literally the book of law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and any other commandments are summed up by this commandment. I want to be explicitly clear, Paul's saying, because he knew I was a moron and I wouldn't understand what he was talking about. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. James, that's for you, because you're dumb. Thank you very much. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. I love it. We owe it to everyone to love them. We owe it to everyone. They might not be like us. They might not have the same ideals. They may not have the same politics. They may not have the same whatevers. We owe it to everyone to love them. Well, how do we do that? We've talked about that. Jesus said to pray for them. Jesus said to be generous to them. Give. Paul says in Galatians 5, and we'll wrap up with this. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. My heart breaks when I read that verse and I think about people like Harriet Jacobs, who she's called to be free and, and her, her mistress, her, her, her owner, oh my gosh, her owner is called to be free. And like she's teaching her scriptures and here it is, we're called to be free. And there's people like in modern day slavery that are human trafficked and they're called to be free. And he says, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But serve one another through love. Paul's like, Church of Galatians, in case you're morons. James, I think you're reading this. Verse, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. I can't, I don't know why I never saw this before. I started studying it. But I've never seen a specific law quoted so many times in Scripture. You're like, well, James, like technically then, like almost every time we've seen don't, you know, don't commit murder, don't lie, and don't steal. Like that's repeated a lot. I think it's pretty important that, that we shouldn't do that either. But over and over and over, you, you get Paul and you get James. He even talks about, we won't get in there, but he talks about pure and fault, faultless religion is this. And he talks about how, how we should love one another. And I love it because even Jesus, the son of God, is like, hey, in case you miss it, Love God, love people. But by loving people, you love your neighbor as yourself. And you can't love yourself without Christ. Well, how do we do it? You pray for them, and you're generous with them, and you extend your mercy to them. Wholehearted devotion, it's not songs. It's not reading your Bible. This is something that I'll probably expand on as I kind of mull around on it. It's, I look at devotion, I used to think like, man, I just need to read my Bible more. I need to like pray more. I need to, and these are all good things. I need to sing more worship songs. And we could all use more of that in our lives. We could all use more of that because that keeps our mind pure. It helps us to take every thought captive. But Jesus is like, man, if you, if you want to fulfill what you need to fulfill, it's to love God and then to love people. And the way to love people is to pray for them and to be generous to them. That's how we do it. And so if you struggle with loving yourself, and that might not be you, it might be you, I don't know. If you struggle with loving yourself, try loving other people, even the hard ones. Jesus, thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is truth. But Jesus, I thank you that you speak through your word, that you help us to become more like you. You, you want us to love you. You want us to be like you. Oh, but Jesus, you like us. You love us. And it's unconditional. So Jesus, help us to grow in that and help us to share that with other people. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.